Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Breen Industries. Let's get ready to launch. Today, we're joined by Dominic Vogel. He is an in-demand CISO as a service advisor, strategist, experienced board director, and currently chief security strategist with CyberSC. Dominic is also known as an advisor and consultant for the Master of Science in Information Network and Computer Security at the prestigious New York Institute of Technology. Thanks, Dominic. I appreciate you being on my show today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good. I'm really excited to have this chat. I know that we have been speaking about it for a while, and I really just want to jump straight into it. Good. I'm, I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay. Now... I know you spent your career across a, a wide range of security demands and industries, including the perennial favorites, banking, finance, and telco. What frameworks and practices have you seen come and go in the ebb and flow of the industry? And what are the evergreen elements that just retain their value? That's, that's a really good question. You know, the, uh, over the past decade plus of, of my career, it's, it's been really interesting seeing the, uh, I mean, I, I was in primarily back in my corporate day, I was, I was in fairly regulated spaces. So there, there tend to be more adoption of uh, uh, like your, your, your ISOs have stood the test of time, um, uh, COVID, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those traditional risk frameworks have, have really uh, stood the test of, of time. But what I've seen more recently uh, is this move towards things that are a little more, uh, a little more flexible and a little uh, less open for interpretation. Uh, things like ISO, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of wiggle room in there, um, and and there's a lot of uh, it's it's hard to interpret some stuff. So uh, with the recent uh, uh, advent of NIST, uh, the CSF, uh, the cybersecurity framework, I've seen more of a push towards that. Uh, in some of the regulated spaces, just because I think it's it's easier to adopt, uh, it's more straightforward, uh, and you're able to have use it uh, with with conversations with um, business executives uh, on, a, on a much easier level. Absolutely, and when you say conversations with business business executives, do you think that that helps make it, it easier for them to understand, for them to interpret, because they don't have a technical background? Ab absolutely, it does, and, and that's been the. The traditional problem with a lot of the um, again, the traditional frameworks, and at, at the end of the day, the the, the frameworks are all so similar. Um, there's there's so much overlap uh, uh, with them. It almost became a you know ch choose your poison kind of thing. But even if you look at like the old uh, the older NIST the 800 uh, uh, series, the, uh, a lot of them were either really really mundane and very very technical, or they were just too high level and it, it, it was hard to have a uh, and understand from from a, a business executive perspective, and that's why I, I think you saw very little traction in in some of the less regulated uh, 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 spaces. And even so, even in the regulated spaces, the business executives didn't have a good understanding of what those frameworks uh, uh, were capable of. Zoom forward to today, uh, I think that's it, it, it's getting better traction because CSF um, has it, it, it's a much more uh, common lexicon, which is much more relatable um, for business executives. So I think that's been the most, uh, the greatest progression I've seen in the past decade in terms of frameworks. Okay. And the reason you're here primarily is the work you're doing around Cyber SC. 
a lot of our audience are living in this space of startups and small to medium businesses. What ripples are you seeing from recent global shifts towards taking security more seriously, namely GDPR, Singapore, and as of recent within Australia? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And the uh, the funny thing is when I went out my own and, you know, I, I, I did I, I was a corporate stooge for 10 plus years and I just went nuts and snapped and decided to go out to uh, venture on my own uh, about three years ago. Uh, I really wanted I really wanted to focus on what I felt was a chronically underserved space, like you said there, the startups and the small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, to me, that had been a, something which was um, there was an inefficiency there in which that those, those those markets were not served by the traditional security players and. Uh, it, it was hard about three years ago to, to gain some traction in that space. But uh, over the uh, past two and a half years, what we've seen, especially with the, with the tech startups, because the, the tech startups re um, rely so much on the larger ecosystem and trying to sell their services, their products to larger companies, those larger companies have been doing more and more uh, and more stringent security due diligence. Uh, mainly because of you know massive data breaches like like Target, uh, where there was a, an issue with the uh, with 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 their supply chain with, with, with someone in their uh, uh, ecosystem. So uh, at the tech startup uh, level, it's become a much much easier conversation to have these security conversations. Being able to do security right from the beginning, uh, being able to secure these companies almost you know these companies of tomorrow, uh, they were like this clean slate, and uh, they had this ripple effect where we started to see that. In the small business space, the mid-sized business space, then you know, fast forward to the past year or so, where we've had uh, regulatory le uh, levers such as GDPR uh, in the state of New York, the, the Department of Financial Services there ha had more uh, um, more stringent from a cybersecurity regula uh, regulatory perspective. Uh, so you, we're really seeing this this ripple effect where it started to affect the small and mid-sized organizations who you know is part of their footprint relied on on clients across across the globe so it's been very very interesting seeing these again this traditional market which didn't rely or care too much about security especially like i said within the past two years they've really amped up their game and have wanted to uh, uh improve their overall security posture and i know that you mentioned earlier about it was hard gaining the traction with some of these small to medium sized businesses what do you think with it the reasons behind why it was, was it an awareness thing? Cause I know a number of people talk about it's awareness and they don't get it. But now that, like you said, these regulations are coming out. Is that sort of what's turning the dial and people are paying more attention to this? Uh, that, that, that's a, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good threads to pull on there, Chris. Uh, right. the, the, at, at the, at the, uh, at the tech startup stage, the, the main driver has been, um, basically a, a, a source of competitive differentiation. So just to give a, 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 an example, um, so uh, a lot of these tech startups become very familiar with these security questionnaires, which they have to fill out. You know, they're, they're bigger customers that you know, they're trying to get uh, uh, clients and, and, and uh, partnerships with, with big companies. They have to fill out these, these massive security questionnaires that the bigger companies make, make them fill out. And they often struggle with that and it can take them months or you know, weeks or months uh, uh, to, to get through. Um, and uh, what's what started to happen uh, was that the companies that were uh, smart, they're able to, to take security seriously and realize, okay, well, if we do security right, maybe if we focus on adding, uh, adopting a, a framework or we have these answers readily available, 
that we'll be able to lower that sales time from, you know, let's say six months uh, to, to two weeks or, or, or a matter of weeks. Um, as an example, one of my uh, clients that they're based in Silicon Valley, um, they had, they told uh, uh, me that they had been stuck on this, this security questionnaire for, for months and you know, I, I, they, 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 they brought me in to help them uh, and I'm able to uh, better interface with the security uh, peers, my security peers at the larger company uh, be able to help them go through that questionnaire. And then they were able to get that rolled out and move on to the next stage. And really what it becomes a matter of is if company tech company or tech startup company A and tech startup company B, let's say they both have the same offering, which they're trying to sell to big company X. If the, if the uh, um, uh, tech company uh, A has a uh, much better approach to security and able to get through that security questionnaire faster, they'll get the business and they'll, they'll get that, that, that client. They'll get the you know, million dollar, $50 million contract. So it was that financial incentive was really there at the, at the tech startup layer. Wow, that's fascinating. And I know that you've been working in advisory and policy formation volunteer positions for a few years now. Firstly, admirable. We're all about helping boost universal security posture. But secondly, how have you seen this community and the work you're doing evolve over time? It, it, it really is a, a, an evolution. Uh, and, and for me, um, and you know, a, a lot of this harkens back to, to sort of my, uh, my, my, my starting days, my, my origin story in, in, in the security field. Um, quick, quick backstory. I mean, it's, it's context. So hopefully you find it interesting, but the, no, the, yeah, uh, go. The, 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 the context is when, when I, um, left university or even when I, when I entered university, I knew I wanted to do cybersecurity and cybersecurity was still very, very nascent. And there weren't many, you know, junior positions for, for people, uh, uh coming out. And, uh, I, I was hellbent on that. And at the time it, it was very, very difficult to, to, to get in. Um, you know, the, to, to get a junior position, to find a mentor, there was no one who was willing to take a, um, um, a, a chance on me. There's no one that I could, I would struggle to find, uh, um, a mentorship and it became very frustrating because to me, it looked like an industry that was ruled by, you know, uh, uh, uh angry middle-aged white guys and, you know, fast forward 10 plus years, you know, there's st still some truth to that, but, uh, something which is near and dear to, to me is uh, uh, just because of, of my LinkedIn presence, I get so many uh, uh, students who reach out to me or even people who are you know, in their mid forties or fifties and they're looking to change career fields and looking to get into cybersecurity. Uh, when people reach out to me and ask for help and say, you know what, uh, we see that you're uh, a thought leader in the space. Would you be able to you know, have some suggestions or how, how can we um, you know, get into the field? And I always take um, time. Uh, if they're locally, I love meeting with them personally, being able to offer that, uh, that mentorship to them because it's something which is still really lacking in the field. And something which uh, is, like I said, is very passionate to me is that the, there's still um, a lack of overall diversity. And again, not just gender diversity, but there's, there's, uh, there's um, a lack of, uh, of thought diversity because so many of the traditional, traditional security roles are from people who come up through the IT ranks. So being able to get people from different uh, uh, um, educational backgrounds, getting people from different uh, 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 geographical uh, backgrounds and different uh, ethnic diversities, the, 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 the field is, uh, needs to keep growing. And the thing I always say is that 
cybersecurity very much is almost like a living organism. And for any living organism to not just live, but to thrive, it needs biodiversity. So that, that, like I said, that, that's why I'm very passionate about being able to go out uh, to the local, uh, at the grassroots level, whether that be uh, you know, high schools, uh, going back to my uh, uh, um, alma mater, uh, Simon Fraser University, the other uh, colleges and other uh, educational institutions, uh, I like being able to pr um, pr um, prop up cybersecurity as a as a viable career, as a fun career that people can not just make a lot of money in, but can it can be very purposeful. And the main hurdle I keep coming across is so many young people think that, oh, I'm not a hacker. I don't like coding in my mom's basement. Therefore, I can't do cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is so much more than that. There are so many different uh, layers and levels to the field and so many different things which you can, which you can do. Um, uh, and that's what, what people don't understand. And that's why uh, it's great being able to see people like yourself who are able to show that there's so, like, there's so much to do in this field, right? It's, it's so much more than just hacking. That's the old Hollywood stereotype. Uh, so for me, being able to change that and be able to get great talent into the pipeline and into the, uh, from a diversity perspective, uh, like I said, I, I, the, the career has been very good to me and I like to be able to see it thrive uh, once I'm gone. So that's, like I said, that, that's very near and dear to me. I think that that's that's a really good approach. And I've got a question. When you spoke about diversity in different people from different backgrounds, do you think as a security as a whole that people don't like to deviate too much from the, you know, the status quo? Because I see a little bit of that, that everyone sort of just follows what the, the general population think. Whereas I think we'd probably get a better perspective if people were communicating their thoughts outwardly a bit more but i see that people stay away from that because they're scared about what other people think about them or what they say but i think it's a good thing what's your view on that uh, and i and i agree with you so much there and, and something which uh i commend you for is being is calling out the security field to become better communicators be better uh, at branding uh, i think that's been the number one uh, one of the number one problems is that uh, any kind of communication that generally does come from uh, security people, it tends to be, and again, I'm speaking somewhat broadly, but the stereotype is true for a reason. It tends to be negative. It tends to be cynical. Uh, it tends to be uh, uh, very harsh. Uh, you know, there's still just not enough open communication. And, and we're seeing that, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's growth in the information sharing uh, centers, but there's still so much that isn't shared because we're not trusting other people. We feel some, someone's going to steal our, uh, you know, our, our, our thoughts, and um, not, uh, there's just not enough uh, sharing and, and thought diversity in that space. We could be so much more open and so much more collaborative, uh, and we need to be much more constructive. There's still so much destructive language uh, in, in the security community. There's, there's so much time that's spent tearing people down rather than building each other up. Um, and again, there's so many great uh, luminaries in the field. So, I mean, I, I do have great hopes <laughs> for the future, but on the whole, I think we can be doing so much more. And, and like I said, that, that having that thought diversity will help move things forward because uh, we're, we're seeing right now that the lack of diversity is, is, uh, is killing things because here we are pretty much 30 plus years later from when the field was, was born, shall we say, and we're still grappling with the same damn issues from 30 years ago you know like like the basics uh so to me if we're not doing the basics well that means we we haven't been communicating well amongst each other so something needs to change it's not just technology changing there's some fundamental stuff that as professionals we're not doing because uh 30 years later we're still not 
you know, moving things forward, um, something's wrong. <laughs> I absolutely agree, Holly and Zoli. And I, I want to dig a little bit deeper on that because when you talk about cynical behavior, what is so for the people listening on this podcast, what is one piece of advice that you could give them so they think a bit differently and less cynical about things and less negative? Well, uh, the, the the one piece of advice that I, uh, uh, I always give to uh, to especially to security professionals is, you know, you, you got to open your. Uh, and this isn't meant to necessarily be a spiritual saying, but you know, open your heart, open your minds. Uh, so many security professionals that I know are just they're they're closed minded. They just focus on the work, at, uh, their task at hand. They don't uh, uh, intermingle or collaborate with other professionals. Uh, you, you got to just open your mind and don't just assume that you know um, the answer. Uh, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to uh, uh, to seek things from a, from a collaborative uh, perspective. And uh, I know it's hard for a lot of people in the security field because a lot of people in the security field uh, just aren't aren't uh, trusting by by nature. But you need to trust one another. Uh, people when they reach out to you aren't necessarily just trying to get a quick. Uh, you know, a, a lesson from you. Uh, don't assume the worst in people. Assume the best. Uh, there, there's, like I said, there's by through something like LinkedIn, I have learned so much and had the chance through different security conferences I've, I've spoken at and through uh, through LinkedIn and, and, and other events. Um, you know, once you start having conversations with other people, you open yourself. Uh, and I know it's hard because a lot of security professionals are uh, introverted introverted by nature. But even if you just, like I said, open yourself up. So when you start having conversations, to me, conversations lead to relationships, and then relationships lead to further opportunities. Uh, you're 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 losing out by just focusing on your little um, uh, corner of the world. O open up. There's so much to do, so much to accomplish, and so much awesome people to to work with. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's such a valuable piece of advice, and uh, I guess. You spoke a lot about, you know, opening up and thought leadership and diversity. You know, there's this emerging role of a more security evangelist that we're seeing now. It's becoming more prominent. I know you've operated on the edges of this function and indeed have been responsible for it. Why should organisation, public and private, look to either hire for this function or look to outside companies to find these types of positions to perform it for them? That's a that's a great question, and, and you know the uh, um, the uh, being able to embrace that security evangelization role, um, you know, that's often incumbent on on uh, a CISO or CISO type uh, role, and uh, in some of the more regulated spaces, um, again, it, it sort of depends on 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 the on the nature of the sector. Some of those more regulated uh, uh, spaces, they may not necessarily need some of that evangelization. But other ones on the peripheral, and, uh, and especially in, in the play, in the spaces that I'm playing in, being the tech startups and the small mid-sized businesses, they, they, like I said, they very much need that evangelization to understand, uh, again, lack of a better, better term, the, the security gospel, and be able to embrace that and realize that uh, in this day and age, uh, the fact with we're talking about a completely interconnected global world, a completely interconnected global ecosystem, uh, that you need to have cybersecurity baked into your uh, uh, organization. This isn't something like uh, fire insurance, which you can just you know pay monthly. Uh, this is something which is uh, needs to be ingrained into the overall success of the organization. Just like you have a financial function, because you have an HR function. Uh, those are things that every company 
uh, of any of you know any uh, uh, gravitas w would have uh, that needs to be included as well. You need to have that cybersecurity function. You need to be able to embrace it and understand that uh, that's not just something which is doing security for the sake of security. Uh, someone who can evangelize and really intertwine the security uh, with the business success and market it and brand it as such. Uh, there, more people need to uh, embrace that evangelization role, like I said, especially in my opinion, at the SMB space. Absolutely, and I think, what's your opinion on? Now, I know you've got these, uh, you know, technical people, and they say, like you said, they're not they're introverted people. But my view is perhaps getting people who aren't from a technical background but are very good at communicating the value and understanding the business and being that security evangelist to interface between the technical and the non-technical. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a better direction to head into or do you think the person should come from a technical background? No, I, and I agree with with you a hundred percent there. And that back to what I was speaking about earlier there, where the where the field needs educational diversity as well. There's still far too many of the typical security professional has come up through your 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 traditional IT or networking background. And as such, when you come up through the same, if you have the same educational background, you're going to view problems the same way. You're going to communicate in a similar fashion. So we need to be able to take people who are great marketers, people who are great brand uh, with brand, great communicators, people who are great with statistics. That's why, like I was saying, when I go out to the local universities and colleges, I try not to just talk to the, uh, to the kids who are in uh, computing science. I want to talk to the kids who are in communications. I want to talk to the guys who are in business. I want to communicate uh, 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 to the young people who, who are in marketing. Right? That's what the field needs. It needs those, again, they don't need them to be necessarily the ones who are selling software, selling security solutions. There's enough of those. It's these people who can come into organizations and serve in evangelization roles or, or be able to serve as, a, as an information security business leader to be that, like you said, that bridge between the, the, the technical side and the executive side. Uh, there, there'll be so much. Uh, there'll be so much more powerful, and we'll be able to see uh, greater inroads in the executive ranks as well, uh, because that's why we see a, um, a struggle from. Uh, uh, you see very few executives who come from a purely technical background who then end up succeeding uh, in in a in a CISO type role. Uh, you need to uh, be able to have that strong communication and marketing capabilities as well, that, which is unfortunately um, not incumbent on a lot of uh, uh, people who come from a, <clears throat> a pure technical uh, background. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know that that is, that's, that's definitely an area that people are focusing on a lot more. On that note, you're also working in setting the education syllabus for the Master of Science and in Information Networking across the security domain for New York Institute of Technology. How is that a weather vane? Like, likely similar to most tertiary institutions changing in its content focus and delivery. It, 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 it's, it's, it's been a slow and, and steady um, uh, um, um, uh, approach from the, from the, uh, from the uh, post-secondary uh, uh, educational uh, institutions. Uh, you know, back when I was in school, there, uh, I went to my entire computer science degree and after over a four-year degree, I think cybersecurity was mentioned once and that was in passing. Uh, so, Fast forward to today, there's still not enough uh, um, uh, curriculum or uh, um, educational opportunities 
or a clear educational path for people who want to get a degree or have a strong educational background in cybersecurity. Uh, so when the uh, NYIT campus here in, in Vancouver, when they approached me saying uh, they've been uh, uh, trying to grow their uh, curriculum and they wanted their curriculum to be reflective of what uh, is happening in, in, in the real world, in, in the business world. So they were smart enough to be able to, to bring in local uh, uh, security uh, uh, experts from the, from the field to be able to, to help advise on, on, on that curriculum. And you know, some of the other educational institutions we're seeing across North America and Europe, they're moving towards that, but there's still a, too much of a, of a purely technical focus on a lot of these cybersecurity educational um, programs, which again is okay, but it's lacking that, that broader um, uh, perspective, broader spectrum in which, again, it's not just a technical problem, cybersecurity. So it, it shouldn't just be taught as a technical solution. Uh, so I think over the next, hopefully the next 10 years that we start seeing that broaden and being included in other uh, disciplines as well. Uh, and hopefully that encourages young people to pursue uh, uh, an opportunity in the cybersecurity field. Are there institutions out there that help with those soft skills? Because it's something that I seem to speak to people on the regular about, but I don't know if there's any formal training for that. I think it's like you said, doing you know mentoring and thinking a little bit outside of the box. But I don't, I don't believe there is something of that formal education. Do you, what do you think on that? What's your perspective? Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and and that's a great question. And, and you know, it, it's from someone who wants to improve the, their public speaking capabilities or be able to. Uh, be a better speaker. Yeah, the, the, um, uh, be a better uh, uh, marketer. Uh, in terms of, like you said, there, uh, it's it's um, <laughs> there's nothing really formal, and, and that, that I think is is, is detrimental. I, I definitely would like to see more of that in educational institutions where uh, um, you include that those broader soft skills, for a, a lack of a better term, as part of an overall cybersecurity program. I think be able to have a clear. Um, um, outline in terms of what a cybersecurity uh, degree would include and how that should be broadened to include other soft skills. I think that would make it much, much clearer. Because if you want to be a programmer or a, uh, you know, get a degree in computer science, th those are clearly defined uh, paths. But there isn't really one clearly defined path for uh, a cybersecurity uh, professional, or there aren't multiple paths. Uh, so I mean, it would be useful for the educational institutions to uh, adopt that. And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing this, this talent gap right now. Um, but in terms of opportunities where people can, as an example, become better speakers, yeah, there's nothing really formal. I suppose they could join like a local Toastmasters, uh, but there's not, nothing formal and, that, and that, that's unfortunate. Absolutely. And I think on a similar note, you talked about the technical areas. What are some areas that you see as a safe bet for future careers for those studying now, but those looking to grow their cert collections? That's a that's a great question too. Um, you're asking a lot of good questions. I like that. <laughs> so, um, the the, it, it, the thing I always like telling uh, people who are entering the field is that I always say um, start off sort of as uh, if you have the opportunity start off with like this generalist um, role, like a, like a broad security analyst role for a, a company. So you get exposed to different things. Maybe you get exposed to some incident response. You get exposed to some. Um, you know, like endpoint protection or stuff at the network level, or you get exposed to being able to do like risk analysis, risk assessments, talk to the executives. Um, there, there's there's so many different, uh, um, uh, or if you're a programmer, there's application security opportunities. Uh, there, there's so, and that's why I like telling people is that there's so much that you can do in in the field. And 
personally, I'm not a huge fan of certs. The only reason I have the certs that I do is because they were a necessity because the uh, you know, the HR departments need that from a, from a checklist perspective. Do you think that's still um, a necessity no, now? Sorry to cut you off. Do you think that's still uh, no, a necessity? I, I, to, to move in the corporate world, unfortunately, the, uh, they are. Uh, again, they do play a useful role, but uh, I, I, I have, uh, you know, um, to me, it, it needs to be a broader understanding in which just because someone doesn't have a certain certification doesn't mean they're not qualified. Uh, uh, there are so many, uh, it, it, to me, it needs to come down to, to experience. Um, uh, the fact that they blindly use that as a litmus test, I find be very frustrating because there are people who have that certification uh, and may have less experience. And compared to someone who has a lot of experience and doesn't have that certification, um, that doesn't mean the person who has a cert would be a better security analyst or security architect. Uh, and right now, the fact that that's used as the baseline litmus test, I think is very misleading and very false. Uh, and it leads to people who shouldn't be in, in certain senior positions end up being in those positions. Um, and no, again, not to crap on people who have a lot of certs. If you like certs, you like learning, you need, you need to be someone who's continuously learning in the field if you, like, if you need to, uh, to thrive in the, in the field. So I'm not trying to uh, crap on that. But uh, don't, at least my personal perspective, when someone hands me a business uh, card and they're listing you know, like a dozen certs, I, I tear up that business card because that tends to be someone who's very egotistical and is just focused on on certs. There's, like I said, there's so much more to being a security professional than listing, you know, here's a dozen certificates or two dozen certificates that I have. Uh, that again is coming from a purely technical driven uh, perspective. Um, there's so much more of that human element that that needs to come into play. So, like I said, the, the thing I always recommend to people. What, if they're going to pursue something in security, I always say try to expose yourself to as much as possible in the field. There's so much that can that, that you can do, uh, and then go with where your passion is for the, at least the foreseeable future. Uh, this is a field where uh, you shouldn't have too much difficulty finding work. The hardest bit right now is getting into the field. Yeah, that's true, and I think when you meet with people, I guess a lot of that comes down to EQ because when you meet with someone, you can say, hey, this guy's switched on, he's onto it. Uh, rather than, you know, saying, oh, I, you've got all these certifications. I think you can you can detect that by talking to someone and understanding how their mind thinks and how they approach problems. And I think that that's a very good approach for, I guess, for anything and to not be persuaded by that as well. Absolutely. Dominic, you shared some great points today. And I think our listeners would have caught some of the great, great truth bombs that you've shared with us. How can they find you or connect with you? Uh, I love uh, when people reach out to me. I I really, really do. So, uh, and I love uh, my social media channel. So people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just look up uh, my name, Dominic Vogel, D-O-M-I-N-I-C and then V-O-G-E-L. I'm on Twitter at Dom Vogel. Uh, or you can email me dvogel at cyber.sc. And uh, I always tell people, please reach out. The highlight of my day is when I meet someone new and have a, a new conversation with someone I've never talked to before. So please, to your listeners, please reach out anytime. I, I love chatting with people. Thank you, Carissa. That was freaking awesome. Let's do it again real soon. Please. Be awesome. Bye. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. See you. 
Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to bringing you frequent snippets of what's happening in the security and emerging tech industries. If you think there's someone I should be speaking with, even if it's you, reach out to media at carissabreenindustries.com and we'll try to make it happen.